Good to know, but I still hate it. So he goes to God herself. Whoopi Goldberg. Wow, this film sucks. <laughs> Grow up, Big Bird. <laughs> Grow up, Big Bird. I'm Abby. And I'm Brianna. And this is What's Next, a pop culture podcast for Bert and Ernie's wedding guests. pull up my notes because I took notes while watching this even though I've seen it at least at least once every year of my entire life. I did not take notes, but I feel like it's all up here. Yep, all in the brain. So, Brianna and I watched several Muppets slash Sesame Street Christmas films over the past week or so. Um, we want to talk about Christmas Eve on Sesame Street first. When was this film made it was made for tv right yes in 1978 okay and i saw it was emmy award winning a very well respected christmas special yeah i'm pretty sure it has like a high rating on imdb let me look it up real quick yeah 8.4 on imdb that is not easy to achieve i first want to acknowledge that i understand i'm not really the target audience for this (laughs) However, I do love things that I'm not the target audience for, such as direct-to-DVD Disney sequels, um, you know, things things like that. Barbie movies, Paddington 2. So it's not that I just hate things that children like. (laughs) Um, I just want to get that out of the way. This is a great preface for this episode. (laughs) I don't hate things that children like. But I had... I don't want to even say I had gripes with this movie. There were things that surprised me about this this TV film. I'll phrase it that way. That's a very polite way of phrasing. <laughs> yeah, they're not inherently bad. They were just things that surprised me. So, first off, this movie kicks off and they're all ice skating. And I was like, oh, this is cute. Well, it's a seven minute ice skating sequence. <laughs> I swear, it's two so minutes in, I was long. like, is this actually just Sesame Street on ice? And you were like, why did Bibi tell me to watch this one? Um, yeah, so I skipped through most of the ice skating sequence. I just didn't care. I wanted yeah, the story. Yeah, I feel that. I feel like I remember that being really boring when I was a child. Um, yeah, I think it, it's just not what I was in the mood for. <laughs> yeah, also, I want to contextualize this for the listener, is that, like, it's not actually the Muppet. The, the Sesame Street Muppets, like the Muppet Puppets ice skating, it's ice skaters in suits, like in costumes. So like a human ice skater in like a Cookie Monster costume. That's ice. where my gripe comes yeah. in, is it creates inconsistencies in the world. <laughs> because it shows these children ice skating with Bert and Ernie, and Bert and Ernie are bigger than the children. <laughs> But then later on, you see Bert and Ernie not on the ice, and now they're small again. Correct. Correct. Um, and I was also unclear on whether the big bird was... It definitely wasn't, like, the usual big bird. Like, it wasn't, like, Carol Spinney on ice in the big bird <laughs> suit. But I'm wondering if it was, like, the same size as the big bird suit or not. Oh, or if they made it bigger to match the proportions. Yeah, or if they made, like, a replica suit that's, like, still the same size, but it's not quite the same. Because I don't think, like, the face was the same. 
I'll be honest, I didn't pay that much attention. <laughs> I've also seen this, like, a million times, so... This was my first time seeing it, ever. <laughs> but I definitely have heard uh, Oscar the Grouch's I Hate Christmas song from it before. Incredible. Because there was a few lines from it where, like, it just sounded familiar to me. I'm like, I, I know this. But anyway, back to the ice skating sequence. Yeah, so it opens with an ice skating sequence, and then Oscar the Grouch flings himself off the ice and goes tumbling down the street, and that's how we break out of the sequence. Yes. I remember the crashing and, like, down, like, and the tumbling down the stairs, and, like, there's a point where, like, the trash can, like, crushes his foot on the ground. Um, and I remember all of that being very unsettling to me as a child. I feel like this episode <laughs> is going to be like me being really nostalgic about all these specials, but also pointing out all the things that unsettled me, which was like quite a few considering this is like children's and family programming. There were things that unsettled me very deeply in this special, um, which is where my gripes lie with it. Yeah. And we'll get to those. But okay. like there were some things that I was very uncomfortable during and I, I don't know. It, it was resolved in the end, so it's okay. So what happens right after, I think right after Oscar the Grouch, like, gets himself together, then there's a song. And then, so there's a song, and then the inciting incident yes, scene there's a happens. song about Christmas. And then the Yeah, so they sing about Christmas, happens. which I skipped. I figured. I was gonna tell you, like, you know, they sing a lot in these specials, and you should probably just skip those parts, and it'll save you time. That's kind of what I figured. <laughs> yeah, because it only took me, like, 35 minutes to watch this once I skipped the songs in the ice skating sequence. Yeah. So it really wasn't bad. Um, but the, the songs didn't add to the story, which I don't expect them to for a TV Christmas special. Yeah. It's so just it's meant okay. to keep it engaging. <laughs> exactly, Yeah. So after that song, we get our inciting incident, which is when little Patty, who was a sweet, precious girl, and Big Bird have a crisis. And they don't know how Santa is going to get down chimneys because Santa is fat. And chimneys are not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they talk about this with Oscar. And they he basically fear mongers them and tells them that they got to figure it out. Otherwise, Santa's not going to deliver any presents for Christmas morning. So they freak out and they have to go on a mission to figure out how Santa gets down the chimney. Yes. And I thought it would just be like a joke for a minute, but it turns out like that's the plot. That's the whole thrust of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Is Big Bird... And to a lesser extent, Patty being in distress about not knowing how Santa's going to get down the chimneys to deliver presents. And it's all mm -hmm. Oscar's fault. So along the way, this hero's journey, if you will, <laughs> they do consult Kermit the Frog for help. And I would like to say that Kermit the Frog looks very cute in his winter getup. very snappy. So precious. Yes. Yeah. That's my He's looking good. picture on Discord, and it has been my profile picture on... Probably Twitter and Facebook in various occasions. Yes, it's, it's really cute. Little hat, I approve little scarf. that. And the thing I noticed on um, timeline-wise is this is pre-Muppet movie, like the original Muppet movie, because that was released in 1979. So this was like early Kermit the Frog because he had his role on Sesame Street as um, a newscaster before he... Before the Muppets kind of like became their own thing. Even though they were like kind of a thing, they just didn't have like 
the names or like characters or like content that they did because I think Jim Henson did like little TV shorts with the different Muppets, including Kermit, for a while, but they weren't like so was the Muppets yet. Was the Muppet Show after the Muppet movie? Yes. Maybe. Oh, actually, I could be wrong. Hang on. I I know very little about the Muppets, to be honest. Like, I know their names, and I know they had a show and a movie, but I don't... The Muppet Show was before the Muppet movie. So, yeah, I think the Muppet movie served as, like, an origin story, because the Muppet Show started in 1976. And the movie was released in 1975. So I guess Kermit's appearance on Sesame Street was not pre-Muppets. It was during the Muppets. Which is like, there was some crossover programming. Okay. Okay, okay, yeah. cool. So that's just a little tidbit of uh Yeah, because I didn't even put that Muppet together. History. That, like, Kermit didn't belong on Sesame Street. And, like, I know I'm not going to go watch Sesame Street on PBS now and Kermit's going to be there. It's just that, like, the Muppet Cinematic Universe... And the Sesame Street Cinematic Universe are all kind of one. Yes, they are. They intersect. <laughs> um, as we yeah. learn on that one episode of The West Wing when the Sesame Street characters come to visit. And um, yes, Abby Bartlett tells um, Debbie, who is Bartlett's personal secretary, um, that Kermit is the only crossover between Sesame Street and the Muppets. Because before the Muppets were their own separate thing. Kermit was the newscaster on Sesame Street. He wore a little trench coat and, like, a fedora and had a little microphone. Wait, maybe this is your origin story for Standing Gale Weathers. It could be, you know? Um, Anyway, back to the film. (laughs) Yeah, back to this. Um, There's also some subplots. Correct. So, let's get to the subplot that upset me. Okay, so Bert and Ernie... These best friends. Two friends that live together and sleep in the same room because they're not gay. Uh, Honestly, after seeing this, like, I mean, I've already always thought that, like, you know, they're more than just friends. But after seeing this, I'm like, how do people not just... They're husbands. (laughs) They're they're boy... They're they're partners. They're husbands. They're... Partners for life. Yeah. So here's the rundown. Bert has been collecting this paperclip string paperclip collection i don't know if it's an ongoing thing that he does on sesame street yeah he collects paperclips that's one of his hobbies okay see i did not know that i only know about ernie (laughs) but bert has like his paperclip collection and um ernie of course has his rubber ducky and ernie wants to get bert the best christmas present ever so he goes to this little Second-hand shop? It kind of looks like a pawn shop Yeah, to me. it's like That's a pawn antique type shop. Like a tr- yeah, like a pawn shop. Like a trade-in A little trinket store. Yeah, Hooper's store. So he goes to Mr. Hooper, and he's like, I would like that. What is it? What kind of box is it? It's a cigar box? Yeah. Cigar box. That's what I thought, but I second-guessed myself, because I'm like, would they say cigar box on Sesame Street? <laughs> Smoking was normalized back then, so... Yeah, that's And also true. Bert and Ernie are adults, I'm pretty sure. They're, like, pretty much the only Sesame Street Muppets that are adults. Um, anyways, he really wants a cigar box so that Bert can keep his paperclip collection in it. But the only thing he has to, to purchase it with is his rubber duck. So he begs Mr. Hooper to take his rubber duck so that it's a trade. 
and he has to say goodbye to his rubber duck and he's like almost in tears as he it's leaves so the store upsetting. With this. like i'm literally gonna cry just thinking about it yeah <laughs> and then what do you know little bert is also in the store and he goes up to mr hooper he sees a little soap dish and he thinks it would be perfect for ernie's rubber ducky so he trades his paper clips for the soap dish and Lil Me was sitting there, and by Lil Me, I mean my 21-year-old ass, and I could not believe that Mr. Hooper took these things from these <laughs> these children. Like, what kind of evil bitch are you? Just give them the things. Be like, you can have it if you clean off the windows for me. Yeah, very strange. Um, but I will say that this story is based on the short story, The Gift of the Magi. Have you heard of that before? No. Um, it's, like, a common, like, short Christmas story that, like, a lot of, like, like movies or, like, made-for-TV specials will base their plots off of. So, like, um, there's a Mickey and Minnie version of this that was, like, in one of the Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas, like, shorts, like, little short cartoons. Mm-hmm. So this is, like, actually, like, a trope is that, like two people will want to get gifts for each other and they end up, like, trading in something that's important to them so that they're able to get the gift for the other person, but then they both realize that, like, they gave something up in order to give the gift to the other person and then the gift is no longer relevant. So, yeah, that's actually, like, a story. It's based on a story. Good to know, but I still hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I just find it so upsetting. It's really upsetting. <laughs> If anyone ever did that for me, like a gift for me, I'd be so mad at them. Right. I'd make them go get it back or I would like go buy it back for them. You know, I don't. It upset me greatly. Yeah. Also, um, it makes me wonder, like, what do Bert and Ernie do for a living? Like, how do they pay their rent? Yeah. This is also something that's never occurred to me is like, what are their jobs? I want to do yeah. some further research into that. And if there's any sort of ever like any reference to that okay so we'll come back to how that subplot resolves in the end of the film but next is pretty much the climax of the patty big bird story which is well first they go and see that what's the big dude's name is it snuffy yeah snuffy big bird's best friend yeah so they go to snuffy and they want to find out if Snuffy will fit into this barrel because it's like trying to fit Santa down a chimney. And so Snuffy gets all four legs in, but then he's just kind of stuck. <laughs> and they're like, wow, we figured out how Santa gets in. And Snuffy's like, but how does Santa get out? And I was like, oh, dear. Um, and they realize it's kind of hopeless. So Big Bird runs off and he sits out in the cold all alone on the roof. Which is also really upsetting. And meanwhile, Patty is just, like, left to herself. And this brings us, perhaps, the big question. Where are Patty's parents? Like, Patty cannot be more than, like, five or six years old. Is that fair to say? She might even be younger yeah. than that. And, like, she's been hanging out alone with Big Bird all day and well into the night. And Big Bird is also a child. Like, he's canonically six years old. So, like... How how is this okay? Like, do they think it's safe because Big Bird's like nine feet tall, or like, 
I don't I don't get it. And I don't get who Patty's parents are. They're not around because Big Bird goes missing and she wants to find him. She goes to get help and she goes to Gordon and Susan's apartment. But, like, Gordon and Susan aren't her parents. So then they rally around the whole neighborhood, like, Bob and Maria and, like I said, Gordon and Susan to go call out for Big Bird. Just, like, where is this little girl's parents and why is she allowed to, like wander around and go get these adults help without like even any of her peers with her like where are the other children i'm just so confused yeah they like only hired one child actor for the day i do love the little cut scenes that are like in the middle with what's the blue guy's name i don't even know grover interviewing the children about how he thinks santa gets or about how they think santa gets down the chimney there's a really cute one, the one where he's, like, whispering to the little boy. Yes, I love that. So cute. Those little interviews are amazing, and Grover's expressions, <laughs> and just, like, I don't know, it's it's really cute. And it was the comedic relief I needed after the mess that was the Ernie Burt storyline. Yeah. Um, there's also a little... Uh, I guess I would say it's a subplot. There's like three little vignettes of Cookie Monster trying to write a letter to Santa. And the first time is he's trying to write a letter with pencil and paper. And the second time he's trying to write a letter with a typewriter. And the third time he's trying to call Santa at the North Pole. But the thing is, the reason he has to keep trying is because he keeps eating things. So he ate the pencil and he ate the typewriter and then he ended up eating the phone because he was asking for cookies and he got so hungry that he needed to eat these things and for some reason like the typewriter scene was like oddly satisfying for me as a child because like him picking like all those little letter buttons off i was like why is this satisfying (laughs) and at the end of the movie he eats the christmas tree I think nowadays they don't have Cookie Monster eating as many non-food items because it's kind of scary. Yeah, it's also kind of like a bad influence. Yeah. I would think. Okay, let's wrap up the Bert and Ernie storyline then. So we cut to their house. It's still Christmas Eve. And they're both like staring at their gifts for one another. And they decide they need to open them before they go to bed. They're in their pajamas. Mm -hmm. Their little pajama sets. So domestic. Yep. (laughs) So Bert opens his first, and it's the cigar box. And Ernie says that he got it for his paperclip collection. And Bert, like, tries to hide his awkward disappointment um, because Ernie has no idea that he gave away his paperclip collection. And then Ernie says, well, why don't you go get it? I can't wait to see what the collection looks like in the box. And... First, like, oh, well, you didn't open your present yet. So then Ernie opens his present, and it's a soap dish. And Bert says, along the same lines, go get Rubber Ducky. I can't wait to see how he looks in the soap dish. And they both just look at each other. And then there's a knock on the door. Mr. Hooper's there, and he gives them each a gift. And it's he's wrapped up the paperclip collection and the Rubber Ducky and returned them to their rightful owners. And all lived happily ever after. Yeah. That made me so emo. Yeah, I can't remember if it made me as emo as a child as it did like the past few years as I've watched it as an adult. I don't know what it is, but I'm just like, oh my god, I'm gonna cry. (laughs) 
And then they sing Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas to each other. They do a cute little duet. As heterosexuals do. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it ended happy for them, but I was still pretty upset by it. And I don't know if the moral of the story is supposed to be like, this is upsetting, don't do it. Or like, if it's supposed to be about sacrificing things you like to make someone else happy, but... Yeah, that's what that I think. kind of toxic to right, me. Right, yeah, I think that's supposed to be the message, but I don't think that message has aged well. I mean, I, I bet people still, like, believe that, but there comes a point where you should not be doing that. Yeah, you can't, like, ruin yourself to make someone else happy, because if there's someone who really loves you, they wouldn't want you to do that. Yeah. But this is also with, like, material items, but then again, they're, like, sentimental items. Like, Rubber Ducky is, like, Ernie's, like, second best friend and most pri prized possession. So, like, he has a whole damn song about it. Right. It's not like they sold a an extra lamp or something <laughs> in the house. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's, like, their most valued item. That's why they, that's what they offer is because it's the most valuable thing they can think to trade. Yeah, shit's fucked up. It really is. They should have just made a GoFundMe. <laughs> I would have given them all my money. So, and then everybody finds Big Bird. Yeah. Because he has been waiting on the roof and he has a little icicle on his nose. Um, and they bring him inside to warm him up. And when they walk into Gordon and Susan's apartment... There's Christmas presents everywhere, which means when Big Bird was asleep on the roof, somehow, Santa came down the chimney and delivered president presidents. And delivered <laughs> presents for the whole neighborhood in that little apartment. <laughs> um, and that was all the proof that he and Patty needed was that Santa brought them presents after all, and everybody was pissed at Oscar for planting that idea in Big Bird's head and making him so utterly distressed that he that they lost him in the cold. That's it. It really is distressing. I think like I don't know like the acting in this movie. I feel like Big Bird um, was just so convincing because he was so distressed. Like I said he was more distressed than like the actual child. Yeah Patty had to like calm him down. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to the late Carol Spinney, who played both Big Bird and Oscar at this time, which meant that he did the work on this movie. Like, he did almost all of the work on this movie. That's crazy. So he did, like, scenes with himself? Yeah, he pro- I mean, he obviously wasn't, like, puppeteering both at the same time. And I think it takes two people to work Big Bird anyway, depending on the scene. But he voiced both of them, at least. For sure. That's about it for Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, I think. Alright. Do you have any more hot takes on this children's film? <laughs> no, I don't think so. My only hot takes were that Bird and Ernie storyline that gave me anxiety. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the inconsistency in the sizes <laughs> between the skating uh, segment. That was That was really it. I don't have too much to criticize here. Yeah. Um, another one that I wanted to talk about from my childhood that you did not get to see is A Muppet Family Christmas. And I'll keep this brief. 
But A Muppet Family Christmas was another, like, made-for-TV type special. It's only, like, 40 minutes long. In 1987. And I watched this last night, and the story is that the whole Muppet gang, so Kermit and Fozzie and Scooter and Gonzo and all of them decide to travel to Fozzie's mom's farm. She was ready to go to Miami for Christmas and have this guy Doc and his dog hang out in her house for a couple of weeks. But they show up and they bombard her entire house. Her house is just filled with Muppets. She thinks Kermit is a lizard. She always calls him Mr. Lizard. Um, And meanwhile, Miss Piggy has been doing photo shoots and other gigs. So she hasn't been able to travel yet. But then a big snowstorm hits and her travels are delayed even further. So basically the only real plot in this is that Miss Piggy is trying to get to the farmhouse so she can spend Christmas with Kermit. There's really no other story than that. It's just a bunch of like hijinks (laughs) and like songs. Um, And what happens is the entire Sesame Street gang shows up because they're Christmas caroling and they come across Fozzie's mom's house and they all decide to stay there. So this poor woman's house... This poor bear woman's house is full of all of the Muppets and all of the Sesame Street Muppets. (laughs) And at one point, Kermit and his nephew Robin also discover in the basement there is a doorway to a Fraggle cave. So they meet the Fraggles, which are another set of Jim Henson universe characters. And so that's part of the story. It's it's just really cute. It's just some wholesome family fun. Uh, the Swedish chef is trying to cook a dinner, and when he sees Big Bird, he goes batshit crazy because he wants to cook Big Bird. Because originally he was going to cook a turkey. But then Big Bird comes in and offers him chocolate-covered bird seed that he made himself, and the Swedish chef decides that he cannot cook Big Bird because Big Bird is sweet. So then they become friends. Yeah, there's just, like, a lot of cute little scenes, but that is my my piece of nostalgia. They sing a bunch of Christmas carols for the last, like, I don't know, almost ten minutes, five, ten minutes of the thing, and it's just, like, a medley of Christmas songs, so... Abby was spared from that. But Kermit yeah. wears a cute little suit at the end. There's like a little... He wears like gray dress pants and like a Christmas plaid vest and a bow tie. That's his um, fancy Christmas outfit. And the other thing that's really sweet is that Jim Henson actually makes a cameo appearance in this at the very end when everybody is singing in the house. Jim Henson is with the dog Muppet because Doc... The character Doc doesn't have a real dog. He has a Muppet dog. And um, Jim Henson is, like, looking at all of them singing in the living room from the kitchen because he's going to start cleaning up all the dishes. And he's like, well, Sprocket, it looks like they're having fun. I like when they do that. And it's really sweet. That's cute. Yeah, That's the lowdown on a Muppet Family Christmas. It's just good, wholesome fun. Just nice, light Christmas fun. The next one I have on our slate to talk about is Elmo Saves Christmas. I have seen this one before, but it's been a while. So I'll tell you what I remember of it. And then you can correct me from there and tell what actually happens. Okay. 
here's my rundown. Elmo gets an awesome Christmas present and he's obsessed with it. I'm pretty sure it's a snow globe. And he's like, I wish it could be Christmas every day. And then he shakes the snow globe and then it's Christmas again. And then he sings a song and it's like, it's Christmas again. (laughs) And it's Christmas again. And it happens every single day. And then he realizes that if it's Christmas every day, then it's really not special anymore. And it gets kind of old after a while. And like Sesame Street starts to fall apart because they're trying to keep up with the consumerism of Christmas day in and day out. And and then I think he's like, oh, never mind. And like shakes the snow globe again and everything's okay. <laughs> that's what I remember. That's that's pretty much the gist of it. Um, That's pretty good memory. Yeah. So like the reason he gets this special gift is that Elmo is um, sleeping in his living room on Christmas Eve so that he can hopefully see Santa. And he does end up waking up to see Santa come down the chimney. And so Santa gives him like the magic um, snow globe and he's so happy. So that's why he wishes it would be Christmas every day. And so as Abby said, it turns out they're stuck in Christmas and they go through like lots and lots and lots of days of Christmas. They go through Easter. Um, They go through the 4th of July, which is also Christmas. Which I'm like, don't they lose track at one point? Like, how would they know it was supposed to be the 4th of July if every day is Christmas? And, like, the thing that makes me really emo about this is that, like, Big Bird is trying to write letters to Snuffy because Snuffy went to, like, his grandma's for Christmas. And since it's been Christmas every day, he's never come back from his grandma's. And so, like, he's not getting the letters and Big Bird is so upset. And I'm just like, wow, this is so sad. And he's, like, talking about how he's never going to see Snuffy again. But then he says, like, at least he has his toys, which is, like, kind of the the nudge message of, like, toys don't really matter, you know? If, like, you're not with people that you love. Yeah, like you said, Sesame Street's falling apart. Maria and Louise run a fix-it shop where they fix toasters. And there's a bunch of toasters that pile up on this table right on Sesame Street. They don't go to work on Christmas, so they can't repair everybody's toasters. And they're so, like, stressed out about that. So yeah, it seems to be very much, like, a cautionary tale against, like, overconsumption and, like, consumerism. (laughs) And, like, making sure you're valuing the right things. And also, like, that if Christmas were every day, it wouldn't be special anymore. And everybody is really upset about it, except for, I just looked at my note... Oscar loves the amount of trash everywhere. There's so much Christmas waste that Oscar is thrilled. And then he hates that, like, Chris, or he loves that Christmas is starting to make people miserable, too. And he's kind of just like, finally. The other things to add on to this is there's a really cute reindeer named Lightning. And he becomes Elmo's buddy throughout the movie. And he basically has the power to, like, travel through time. So he can fly Elmo around the world, like, forward into time. Um, And that's how it ends up being resolved, is that they go back in time to the night that Elmo met They show, like, the globe, right? And it, I can just see that in my head, and it shows, like, lightning dragging Elmo along around the globe. Yeah, there's this cute little animation of lightning um, going around the globe. But yeah, that's how it gets resolved, is they go back in time. The other things I gotta point out about this because I just have to, is there's a really cute subplot where Grover is selling Christmas trees 
and they run out because, you know, you can't cut down pine trees every single day for like a year. Um, so there's a little bit of environmental critique in here. <laughs> Another thing I questioned is, so Elmo's supposed to be like three years old. And so I was really confused as to why he was like in his living room by himself, just trying to stay up all night. Like it very much looked like Elmo was living on his own. And I'm like, Elmo has parents. Just like Patty. All of these children are just like autonomous individuals in Sesame Street, I guess. Um, with childlike qualities. And the other two things, I think these are the only other two things I had to say about it, is that it's narrated by Maya Angelou. And that's how I found out who she was. Like, that's how I learned who she was. And I had, like, somewhat forgotten this, even though I've seen this special a million times. And it's, like, really, it's there's, like, really visceral memories of it for me. I hadn't watched it in a few years. So when she came on the screen and, like, started talking, I literally was, like, gonna start crying. Because I was just, like... And also, Harvey Firestein plays the Easter Bunny in this once Easter time overlaps with the every day of Christmas. And I did realize actually, so he's in an Easter bunny suit, but he's also wearing like makeup. Like he's wearing like blush and like eyeliner and his um, like eyebrows are sort of drawn on as like the character, which I thought was interesting. Um, and when I was reflecting on this, it was like, he was probably my first experience of, like, a queer person. And the first, like, time that that was ever really, like, legible to me. Because I think as a child I probably didn't really question, like, why this, like, large, gruff man was in an Easter bunny suit. I might have thought it was a little weird. But I feel like I also probably sensed, like, this is a queer man. Yeah, I have nothing to add on that one. Um, the next one we have to talk about is Muppet Christmas Carol, which was released in 1992. I don't know if that was, like, uh, uh, in the theaters or not. I feel like probably not, but let me see. It received modest box office success. So, I have seen this one, but it's been a while. What I was saying before we started recording is I feel like even if you, like, don't know much about the Muppets, like, you've probably seen this movie because, like, it's just, like, known for being iconic. Like, I know every Christmas season it's, like, all over Twitter. It's, like, the Muppets Christmas Carol is the superior <laughs> Christmas Carol. Um, and it really is. It's super good. I recommend it. Um, it's not one I watched as much as a child because we didn't have, like, a DVD of it. It's just super cute. Like, Gonzo plays Charles Dickens and is the narrator. And his friend Rizzo the Rat, um, who does not get a, a character name. He is not playing somebody like Charles Dickens. He's just Rizzo the Rat as himself. Um, and it's your typical Scrooge story. There's the encounter with all the different ghosts. If you look at the ghost of Christmas present... I think he looks like Hagrid from Harry Potter. That's what he reminds me of. He's just a very large, long-haired, bearded man. Um, except not a man. He's a gigantic Muppet. Yep. 
there's always memes of like Hagrid as him. I had to look him up though to know who you were. As soon as I saw it though, I was like, yeah. Uh-huh. When we watched um, <laughs> Harry Potter last year, I tweeted at one point like I'm gonna tell my kids this was Hagrid and I tweeted a picture of the yes. ghost of Christmas present <laughs> I was thinking about it and I was like okay this story is like clearly an indictment of capitalism and like consumerism because the whole thing is that Scrooge is making Bob Cratchit who's played by Kermit um, work on Christmas and Kermit's son, Tiny Tim, who's played by his nephew, Robin, is ill. And, like, they don't have enough money to help um, Tiny Tim, even though he's making... Scrooge is making him work on Christmas. So it's very clearly, like, a fuck capitalism message because Scrooge realizes the error of his ways in the end. And I'm like, this story has been around for, like at least a century, right? (laughs) And yet here we are. (laughs) And it's like, Tiny Tim has to be near death and Scrooge has to see that in order for him to, like, realize all of his bullshit. (sighs) Um, our next one is Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. And this one I just want to give a shout out. And I'll just read the description. Emmett and Ma Otter are very poor, but they are very happy and talented singers. Christmas is around the corner, and they both want to get the other a very special present. A guitar for Emmett and a piano for Ma. They decide to enter, like, a music competition, and they both end up using the other person's needs for their job. Emmett takes the wash tub that his mom does laundry in, and she does laundry for, like, basically the whole community. That's how she makes her money, and he ends up taking that away in order to enter the music competition. But the prize for the talent show is $50, which would be, apparently, in this Woodland universe, enough for them to buy a guitar or a piano for the other person. They get a song together, and Emmett ends up forming a jug band, so that's exactly what it sounds like. It's a band with instruments made of jugs. And Ma practices by herself, so it's, like, unbeknownst to the other person that they're both going to enter this competition um, to go against the Riverbottom gang, which are these, like, biker reptiles that are actually pretty creepy that have this, like, hard rock band. Um, And both Emmett and Ma's separate acts end up losing to the Riverbottom gang, but at the end of the movie, a restaurant owner, Doc Bullfrog, that's right, He's a frog. Hire them to sing at his restaurant. And they earn money and they're not poor anymore and they live happily ever after. Cute. And our last movie to talk about. A very merry Muppet Christmas movie. 2002. This one has the Muppets once again um, at their theater. They find out that they are going to lose the theater because they don't have enough money to pay their bill in time. The evil business lady, played by Joan Cusack, is going to come take their building away. Mm -hmm. Kermit gets all emo about it and he goes and sits outside by himself on a bench in the cold. And David Arquette, who is an accounting angel in heaven, sees little Kermit from heaven and knows that he needs to take it up with God. So he goes to God herself, Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> so classic. And tells Whoopi Goldberg 
God that they need to help Kermit. And she's like, oh, okay, fine. So he has to pull up this, like, screen so they can see Kermit. And she has this remote. And it's, like, two remotes um, welded onto this metal tray that also has a DVD player on it. It's really bizarre looking. It's like a, I guess I would describe it as, like, a giant Xbox controller. But where your hands go, it's two remotes. And then the center is... Like, the thing that slides into a DVD player, where you put a DVD, yeah. the tray. Um, so that stood out to me. God also has a couch in the middle of a meadow. She's, like, outside in this meadow, and she's on this really plush couch, mm-hmm. just Just chilling, vibing. just vibing. And also the other angels, like, try to persuade um, Daniel, who is, that's the accountant angel's name, played by friend of the pod, David Arquette. David Arquette, um... They try to dissuade him from going to God because they're like, that's just career suicide. Like, you are gonna look like an idiot if you go to God about this. Yeah, but he's determined. Go to God, he does. This is where the kind of flashback happens and we get to see what led up to this disaster. So the first disaster is that they hired Matthew Lillard to be their director. And Matthew Lillard plays this, like, really over-the-top French guy. His name is probably Pierre. Um, and he is ridiculous, and he wants to do the most over-the-top things, and Kermit hates it. It's a no-go. And then Miss Piggy quits, so they're down their star. Everything is a mess. They cut to, to Miss Joan, and she has changed the contract to make it so instead of their bill being due at midnight, it's due at 6 p.m. On Christmas Eve. Luckily, one of Kermit's friends is there in the office talking with her. Yes. Yeah, Pepe falls in love with her and goes to work with her, but he ends up getting this inside scoop. Yeah, so he reports to Kermit, of course. But it's opening night, so... He's very busy, and he doesn't quite get to Kermit in time, but then he does, it seems. And Kermit tells Fozzie he needs to go and get the money to the lady right away. And Fozzie's like, okay, Kermit, and then he runs off, and he comes back a little while later, and he's lost the money somewhere, and he didn't get it to the bank in time. That's when Kermit goes and sits down and freezes, and David Arquette, Daniel, comes down to him and he first he has to unfreeze him, and then... I also want to add that he's wearing, like, the the angel Daniel is wearing a, like, 50s question mark, like, barbershop quartet kind of outfit. Maybe 50s is too recent, but he's wearing this, like, pink and blue, like, plaid suit and, like, one of those straw hats that you see people who are in barbershop quartets wear. That's his, like, streetwear to disguise himself as an angel. Yes, and God says to him about the outfit something like, you look like a Hello Dolly chorus member. Yeah, yeah. And once he gets there and Kermit is unfrozen, Kermit says the same thing, which was pretty silly. I thought that was fun. But Kermit explains what's going on and he has a breakdown and trigger warning for suicidal thoughts but Kermit the Frog is like I wish I'd never been born I wish I'd never been born and I was like uh hello it's so upsetting honestly yeah Daniel is not okay with this and he's like Kermit I'll show you what would have happened if you'd never been born and everything's a mess and everyone is into sex work and that's pretty much the moral so Kermit is like wow they really do need me here and he snaps out of this and goes back to 
the theater and he's like, guys, everything is going to be okay. And they end up giving the big fuck you to the business lady in the end because Pepe gets a permit that declares the theater a historic landmark so she can't tear it down. Yeah, because she wanted to turn it into a club. Yeah, that was a pretty co- comprehensive synopsis. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack There's so here. much to unpack. It's definitely, like, the most, like, adult themes of any of these, I would say. And it's, like, based off of It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, I actually have not seen it. Basically, the same thing happens is this guy's business goes in the shitter and um, he's ready to jump off a bridge and, like, kill himself. Um, it's like right before the holidays and an angel comes down to show him what his life would be like if he had never been born. And then he realizes the importance of family and love and such. I don't think I've ever seen that or I don't think I've watched it since I was like in like early high school, maybe. And then like I became an adult and had mental health issues and I Maybe I could watch it now, but it's not really something that I, like, want to watch that badly because it's just, it's upsetting. And um, even though it's supposed to be uplifting and there's supposed to be an uplifting message, um, it's upsetting. And then when I was watching this movie as a child, it was also really upsetting. And again, I'll give credit to the actor playing Kermit. The way that he exclaims that he wishes he'd never been born and he just, like, completely freaks out is just, like, so startling. Especially as, like, Kermit's supposed to be, like... I mean, he's kind of anxious, but he's supposed to be, like, a a happy-go-lucky character. Like, this is pretty... This is a pretty yeah. serious theme. So here's my thoughts on this overall theme. Kermit's friends are incompetent. He's the only one who's capable of doing anything properly. <laughs> except for, like, being nice to other people. Kermit has to do everything himself. And the idea of him... Like, when he goes into this other alternative universe and he sees how shitty things are without him, that would make me feel fucking worse. I'd be like, great, so now I really have to do everything by myself and care for every single person in my life. Scooter is a fucking stripper. And, like, Gonzo's homeless. He plays music on a bench. Yeah, like, that just made me fucking feel like yeah, shit, man. Yeah, Fozzie's a pickpocketer. Um, other people work for Joan Cusack's character in the club. I thought the funny parts of the movie were really funny, but when it came to the actual theme, I was just like, Kermit just needs better friends in his life. Welcome to the Muppets. Is that Kermit is the leader and he's surrounded by chaotic people and something always goes wrong. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. Maybe it's just because I always seem to take on that role in my life and it's yeah, I do it's sense like the big sister yeah, complex. I do sense a little bit of projection happening from you. Which is fair cuz that's like your experience. That's your experience. It's not right. a, a Muppet Frogs experience like <laughs> <laughs> Those are the things I notice as you say based off of my personal experiences is that like it's everyone Okay, it's not everyone else's fault, but the things that happened wouldn't have happened if Kermit, if Kermit had just been working on his own. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not that everyone else ruins everything for Kermit, but it is like Kermit needs to take care of everyone right. else for yeah. them. Yeah, that's a good point. 
I mean, I have that complex too, but I don't have that, like, I guess, like, feeling about the movie. But I've also, again, been watching this movie since I was, like, a child. So, like, it's, it's, like, embedded in my brain at this point. There's not really a whole lot of critique happening for me. It's, like, all, it's all nostalgia. That's very fair. (laughs) A couple things I noticed. There's, like, some references that really date this movie that's, like, pretty funny. Like, one of the best jokes is um, at the very beginning when God tells Daniel that if he can't prove that Kermit really needs her help, he'll have to convert all of her albums to MP3 files. And it's this, like, (laughs) humongous stack of, like, albums. And he's like, but... You have, like, every record ever. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. One other thing in the opening that I noticed, and it upset me here, and I watched this before Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, they do the gift thing again, but it's, like, with a ton of people. Wait, what gift thing? Where they, like, give someone a gift, but it's no longer relevant because they gave that thing away to get them that gift. Oh, really? Yeah, with, like, four different pairs of people. Huh. I'll have to go back and look at that. That didn't register with me. Um, there's a really cute little scene where a bunch of frogs, um, are daring this one little frog to stick his tongue on a pole, and then his tongue gets frozen on the pole, and it's very cute. What else was I gonna say? There's a whole, like, Scrubs cameo, like, an entire Scrubs cameo. (laughs) Yes. Like, um, Miss Piggy's new job is gonna be being a dead body on Scrubs, and it- there's a scene that cuts to her being on that set and she keeps like talking because she wants a bigger part than being the dead body who doesn't talk. Um, but I think that's when like Kermit comes to get her. Um, so Kermit ends up inter- interrupting the shoot, which is pretty funny. There's some good cameos of like the people that they need for like star power to try to get enough money on this like Christmas Eve show. So Kermit uses the phone to call up people. He calls like Kelly Ripa and molly shannon and apparently molly shannon and kermit have a history he also calls it doesn't show them but he calls them by their first name he calls angelina jolie and courtney cox and i think he also calls madonna and britney spears yeah again more references that kind of date the movie a little bit and there's also um in kermit's experience of his life if he had never been born is he sees Rizzo on Fear Factor. When I was reading the back of this DVD that I have of this movie, it was showing all of like the star appearances. And first of all, I never realized that it was Matthew Lillard who plays the French director because I feel like his disguise is very good <laughs> and I never realized it was him. I also didn't realize that it was David Arquette until like way later in my life. The other, the la- I think the last thing I want to say is um, the scene where Fozzie has to take the money to the bank. He's carrying this huge sack of money with dollar signs on it down the street several blocks and he encounters all these obstacles. And that scene reminds me of when I worked in retail and I would have to go <laughs> like a block or two of stores down because I worked in an outlet mall. And this was like around this time last year, I feel like actually, is that one of my bosses asked me to go get the money that was sent to us by the company to put like in the cash registers, like the cash that you need for change. And it was the first time she had asked me to do that. And I was just like, wait, I'm allowed to do that. (laughs) Cause I'm just this like lowly seasonal sales associate 
at the time, 20 or 21 years old, like, young. I was just like, okay. And she was like, well, I mean, if anything happens to it, I'm gonna know that, like, you were the one who was sent for it. So it's whatever. And I was so stressed about getting the money from the um, shopper services where it was located back to the store. And it reminded me of that scene. And I told her about it, and of course she had no idea what I was talking about, but I was like, it's like when Fozzie has to get the money to the bank. <laughs> and he doesn't make it because he encounters all these obstacles. He encounters like a Steve Irwin parody and a evergreen Christmas tree sprayer, and he gets dyed green, and then people think he's the Grinch. Um, and he loses the sack of cash, and it ends up getting replaced with something else, and then he has to go through these lasers and get his fur burnt in the in it's the bank mess. building and it's an entire mess that's like what was in my head that's what i thought was going to happen to me so i found the part in the script with the present exchange so first it's rizzo and gonzo gonzo i sold my collection of rare cheese to buy you this crystal petri dish for your mold collection oh yeah that's right i do remember that now the crystal petri dish and then there's like another set or two of that and i was just like uh okay so, what is Kermit's nephew's name? Robin. Robin is precious and adorable, and... He's so cute. I also want to know where his parents are. I know you said that he is in A Christmas Carol, which makes sense. I just don't remember him, you know, because it's been a while. Or at least I don't remember him being Kermit's nephew. This just had me thinking, like, they successfully pulled off the nephew kind of spin-off character from the protagonist. Why couldn't they have done a better job with Scrappy-Doo? It's true. That's another hot take. I do have to shout out this YouTuber that I've been watching. His name is Billiam. Uh, he has a bunch of Scooby-Doo videos that are, like, 25 minutes long each, and he watched the entire Scooby-Doo series. Like, all of the different Scooby-Doo series. Wow. So if you're in Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo hot takes, check out Billiam on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I want to know where Robin's parents are. Because he's just Kermit's nephew, but Kermit clearly has, like, some level of custody over him because he's usually around. <laughs> like in The Muppet Show, he's in The Muppet Show. Alright, I think we- I think that just about covers it. All of- all of the specials. All of the nostalgia. <laughs> That's all. Do we do a pyramid or some sort of activity? I wonder if there is, like, a quiz of, like, which Muppet Christmas Carol character are you? There sure is. And this is right on Disney.com. Okay, so question one. What is your favorite part about the holidays? And the options are family, food, presents, winter, weather. Um, I'm gonna go with food. I'm also gonna go with food. I do love my family, but, like, yeah. I'm thinking specifically of my siblings, and I see them all the time right now anyway, so. What is your favorite song in the Muppet Christmas Carol? One more sleep till Christmas, bless us all, it feels like Christmas, Marley and Marley. I feel like the one I know the best is Marley and Marley. I feel like I gotta go with that one. Is that one super Christmassy? No, it's not, actually. It's probably the least Christmassy. Statler and Waldorf, which are the two cranky guys who heckle the show all the time. And they sing a song called Marley and Marley. It's pretty iconic. That's right. Okay, I'm gonna go with that one. Oh, which one are you going with? Um, I picked Marley and Marley, too. Pick a phrase. Bah humbug. 
My realm is the present. The Marleys were dead to begin with. I am here for the food. I am here for the food. I believe one of the rats says that. That's cute. I think I'm going to go with the Marleys were dead to begin with because it's a little mysterious. Yeah, I can't remember if it's Rizzo specifically or another one of the rats that says that. What is your favorite holiday treat? Gingerbread, peppermint, eggnog, pumpkin spice. Mm. I'll pick pumpkin spice, but I'm thinking specifically of pumpkin bread. I love pumpkin bread. Yeah. I don't know. I like peppermint chocolate things, not really peppermint by itself. So I feel like I want to go with gingerbread because I'm more of like a baked good kind of gal. Pick a Christmas ghost to be haunted by. The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas yet to come, or Jacob and Robert Marley. I gotta, I think I gotta go with Jacob and Robert Marley just because they're funny. The ghost of Christmas yet to come and the ghost of Christmas past in this movie are creepy as fuck. So the only, like, jolly one is the ghost of Christmas present that looks like um, Hagrid. And then Jacob and Robert Marley are just funny. Yeah, I remember, now that I'm seeing this picture of the two in the movie, I, like, have a memory of it for sure. I think I'm gonna go with Christmas past because I, I don't, I don't know, I'm just gonna go with Christmas past. You like the nostalgia. It also, like, upsets me though, but yeah, I think... I'm trying to pick some of, like, the darker answers. Yeah, and, like, the ghost of Christmas past is, like, this little girl ghost type deal. And she takes Scrooge to see, like, his, like, lost love um, and, like, a bunch of stuff in his, like, young manhood. And I feel like that's, like, kind of your your vibe. Who would you like to have over for Christmas dinner? The Swedish chef, animal, beaker, bean bunny. I'm sad Scooter's not on here. He's my fave. I love Scooter. I'll go with Beaker. He's pretty cute. I'm gonna go with Bean Bunny. Which Cratchit child would you most like to babysit? Tiny Tim, Bettina, Belinda, Peter. Um, Tiny Tim is the cutest, I think. Yeah, I guess Tiny Tim. The other ones don't really have, like, fleshed out personalities. How many times have you watched The Muppet Christmas Carol this year? I haven't yet. Just once. Three to five times. I have it on loop right through Christmas Day. I haven't yet. Mine is just once. I got Fozzie. What's the description? You are always ready to spread laughter and cheer and to throw a holiday party. Nothing will stop your joy at Christmas time. Not even those heckling Marleys. Interesting. Fozzie's character isn't because he play his name is Fozzie Wig instead of Fuzzy Wig. It's not he doesn't have like the biggest role in that movie, I feel like. Um, I got Marley and or Marley as played by Statler and Waldorf. And it says you may not be as lively as you once were and not the biggest fan of Christmas cheer, but even you can't resist singing along to holiday songs. I I am not as lively as I once were. They probably give all of the results like a happy Christmas love Yeah. But that's okay. That's what I expected from a quiz about a Christmas movie, so. On Disney. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I guess that wraps it up then. Yep. There you have it. If you enjoyed this episode, please send it to a friend or leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect to us on Twitter at What's Next Pod C. Let us know what you think of the Sesame Street slash Muppet Christmas films and specials. We would love to hear your thoughts. And, uh, mm-hmm. 
That's all. That's it. That's it. <laughs>